So, um, uh. <laughs> so about a year ago, I left a real, a real bonkers comment on some fan fiction <laughs> about Sherlock and John uh, drowning each other in their kitchen sink. <laughs> And a friendship was born. <laughs> I think we've talked like every single day since then. <laughs> I think so. I, I was thinking about it yesterday. I was like thinking about like you saying that you text me more than most people. And I'm like, I don't think I text anybody. <laughs> I mean, I don't really have much reason to text people besides like, I'll meet you at this time. Right, exactly. I mean, like the only other person I think I would want to text is my husband and he literally lives with me. So it's like, right. there's not really I anyone else I would text you. like. I just had this thought about the nature of God and right. wanted to tell you about it. <laughs> oh, now you're going to see how, like, California my vocal pauses are. Hella Is and for California? sure. I think so. I don't know. I still get people telling me I talk like I'm from California. I haven't lived there for, like, five years. I might just talk like I listen to too many podcasts. That's good. I know I'm on a podcast. <laughs> you know, I still, I, I said I was going to listen to a podcast before we did this, and I didn't. <laughs> That's good. It's like, I think a lot of the time, like, singers... Like, an opera singer, like, won't listen to the opera that they're doing to, like, yeah. avoid accidentally copying someone else. That so it's, sense. like, that kind of thing. Yeah. We're actually recording. Okay. Okay, Our... take three of this thing. <laughs> so we just had 15 minutes of conversation that we just realized was not recorded. So now we're going to go back and talk about Will Graham, covered in blood. Which is, you know, always a good thing. (laughs) We open on this guy, covered in blood. And, like, really graphically narrating, you know, what he's doing and why. This entire first scene is, like, kind of set up to, like, give you the idea that Will Graham is a serial killer. Right. And I was not paying a ton of attention during this episode, for people who don't know this, I'm a professional bassoonist. I play the bassoon for a living, which means that I have to make my own reads, which is a process that's like, I don't know, maybe it's like having a knitting hobby. It's mm. like a lot of like stuff with your hands you don't really need your brain for. So I was making reads while watching this first episode, which is what I always do when I'm not sure I'm like super invested in something. Yeah. And that is how I ended up spending most of this episode wondering if like maybe Will Graham is a serial killer for real. <laughs> I, I don't think you're actually supposed to think Will Graham is a serial killer, but it is obviously very intentional. Right. I mean, I think they're definitely, like, floating the idea that, like, this is a dangerous person who has this capacity for violence, or at least for imagining this level of violence. And I think maybe that's kind of one of the greater questions in the show, you know, like, is that the same thing? Like, if you are the kind of person who, you know, can imagine these things and take pleasure in doing them, like, does that make you a bad person? Does that make you a killer? Like, is that is being a killer, like, an innate trait? Or is it something you do? Which is something I think we're probably going to come back to when we talk about the session with Franklin. Yeah. Because I, I think, like, Hannibal maybe has a different uh, or a specific opinion on that question that maybe oh, yeah. is not shared by everyone. Yeah, but I, I definitely think that, like, if the opening scene had been shot in a more, like, typical, you know, this is our main character, this is our hero who's not murdering people the first five minutes, I think I probably wouldn't have watched the show because I'm yeah. completely uninterested in, you know, police shows. and. 
And actually, I think like after the first episode, I was still not 100% convinced because I still thought that it was like a police procedural, which it could have been if like the next episodes had kind of continued in that vein. It would have right. been, but I think I you just don't realize. It's interesting because you have this kind of police procedural thing happen, and at the end of the episode, they get the bad guy. Hobbs is dead, and you kind of assume that, like, if this were a police procedural, they would just be moving on from right. Derek Jacob Hobbs. But they basically never move on from him. He's, like, a constant presence in Will's life forever, it's like the fact that he killed this guy. Right. And it, it was kind of interesting to rewatch the pilot episode, like kind of knowing what comes after, like how knowing how entangled Will and Hannibal become with each other, and also knowing how much Will starts to really get entangled with Abigail, or at least the idea of her. Yeah. So it's interesting to see him interacting with all of them, like before he cares. Yeah. You know, like when Abigail is just like a stranger. Jack comes to visit Will in his classroom and asks, like, oh, you know, where on the spectrum are you, or something. And Jack, then, which is like so rude. First of all, like Jack is so fucking weird in this scene. Like I feel like the point of the scene is supposed to be that Will is weird, and like even more so the second time. I'm like, no, Jack is the one being ridiculous right now. I mean, he literally like he walks up to Will and like Will puts his glasses on and Jack is like pushing his glasses Who up on his head, and Will is like you know, physically uncomfortable. Like, you can see him kind of cringing away from this, like, large man who's touching him. And it's like this, he's like, may I? And then, like, slowly reaches his hand towards Will's face. And Will's like, I don't, like, what am I going to do? Say no? Like, please don't touch my face. But I feel like the, the idea of, like, oh, Will is possibly on the spectrum was, like, something that the writers introduced and then maybe thought better of. As like, oh, maybe we don't actually need this as a plot point or... I mean, I think it was probably a good idea. Like, if that was the thinking that, like, actually, we're, we're going to drop this. Because right. kind of what <laughs> happens over the course of the show is that, like, it becomes clear that, like, what's different about Will is not, is not autism. It's, like, a desire to kill people. So I think <laughs> if they had, like, kept pushing the autism angle... It might, it might have been, like, like had some unfortunate implications. You know what I mean? Right. But I was also thinking kind of differently about this particular way of looking at Will's character after starting to get into some extended universe stuff and kind of trying to write a fic which had both Will and Adam in it, which mm-hmm. kind of demands that you think about, like, what is the difference between these two people? So for anyone listening who does not know who the fuck Adam is, uh, this is a character played by Hugh Dancy in 2009 in a rom-com about an autistic man. And in the movie Adam, it's not, it's not a great movie. It very much buys into the idea of autism as an empathy disorder, which is a phrase that's also used in Hannibal, but in the case of... Adam and kind of this stereotypical view of autism, the idea is that the empathy disorder is not having empathy. And that's very much the way Adam is portrayed. And I think it would be difficult slash impossible to write a fic where you have Adam where he isn't portrayed that way. Right? Right. Because it's such a huge, like, that's 
kind of the movie. That's his entire character. Everything that happens happens because his way of interacting with the world is that he doesn't always know what other people are thinking. Right. So you kind of have to accept that premise if you're going to write him. Mm-hmm. However, I was like, okay, I'm going I'm <laughs> to write some Adam Reiki here and like Googled like autism and empathy. And like most of the information that I found was along the lines of like, actually the profession has held for a while that, you know, autistic people don't feel empathy. And that's kind of like what sets the autistic brain apart from the neurotypical brain. But the more current research and the experiences of autistic people tend to indicate more that it may actually be the opposite that Mm-hmm. Uh, autism may in fact be an excess of empathy or at the very least some different sort of empathy oh, that's which interesting. so that's basically the difference between Adam and Will is like kind of two different portrayals of like what autism is and what it might do to your interactions with other people right so from that perspective like if we accept the premise that a definition of autism could be like exactly what will experiences like not being able to separate his emotions mm-hmm. from other people's emotions then it kind of makes sense however will still doesn't actually say in the episode i'm autistic right he says i hitch my horse closer to asperger's and autistics than sociopaths and narcissists mm-hmm. which kind of just sounds like he's trying to reassure jack like don't worry, I'm weird, but I'm not criminal. <laughs> right, like I'm not a scary kind of weird. Right. Which, at this point, I don't think Jack necessarily cares. Like Jack is like going to Will because he's like, you're the only person who can do this thing that you do and I need your help because, you know, seven been murdered and I need someone to make it stop. And, and I think that's basically Jack's character in a nutshell is kind of like, I don't really care what I have to do, but I want to catch these people. Yeah. With, like, kind of, like, a disregarding other people's well-being. Yep. We're going to get to my Jack Crawford rage. Right. I mean, I imagine imagine we will have a lot to say about Jack Crawford by the time this podcast is done. But, but yeah, I think going back to the Will thing, um, well, you know, I've been writing, like, fic that's really heavy on Adam Reiki, too. And so, yeah, it's really interesting kind of juxtaposing, like, him and Will. And I, I don't think they're the same like even if maybe we could both say that they're on the spectrum which you know would kind of just be speculation because like you said Will never actually says yes this is something I identify with it's interesting because like I think they are similar in a lot of ways or at least they're both very different from other people but I think the portrayal of their characters in fandom is very different and I find those differences really interesting because uh, on, on the one hand, like, yes, I think Adam has been, like, really sheltered by his dad his whole life, and maybe that's why he's kind of less capable of, like, interacting with other people in a way that's... I'm, like, I'm trying to figure out how to, like, phrase this. Anyway, uh, in a nutshell, I, I think it's interesting that Adam is portrayed as, like, this incredibly innocent, fragile person in Fix, whereas mm-hmm. Will definitely is not. When I don't think their personality traits are necessarily all that different, barring the fact that Will actively wants to murder people. Adam never says he doesn't want to murder people. <laughs> right. I mean, how would we know? <laughs> but I guess I think like that, that the the way that they're both different is treated very differently by people in fandom. And I think that's interesting to me. I think it's also treated really differently like by their own 
cannons. I mean, first of all, I think a lot of like the ways in which the movie Adam is not good is just that like his own story kind of treats him as being way stranger and less acceptable than he actually is. Yeah. Like just looking at the way he interacts with people and like his home and work situations. He's a perfectly functional adult. Yeah. And the story seems to accept the premise that like he needs his dad's help to get a job. Right. And I'm just like, who do you think is applying for the kinds of jobs that Adam is interested in? Like the HR managers <laughs> at like whatever telescope place he's working are like very capable of understanding where he's coming from. But anyway. I mean, honestly, like the way Adam lives is like not all that different from the way I think most people live. Yeah. I think he's, you know, more rigid about like the things that he eats than like your average person. But like he goes to work, he comes home, he watches something on his computer while he eats dinner. That's very normal. You know, strikes up a relationship with someone in his apartment building. Meanwhile, you have Will Graham parking his car across two lanes <laughs> of traffic <laughs> to pick up a dog. <laughs> Everything about Will, I think, is, like, way less socially acceptable and way weirder. But the show kind of treats it as almost as normal. Like, I mean, there's, like, a kind of agreement that, like, oh, Will Graham is unstable. And he definitely is. But everyone's kind of okay with it. The other thing that I noticed about this scene with the first time that we see Will teaching Mm -hmm. is just that in the same way that all of the graphic violence that we see on the show is like carried out by Will. He also introduces the concept of God and killing. And I had completely forgotten that. I mean, I think about, you know, that's kind of Hannibal's thing that he thinks about God all the time, that religion or whatever he might term his particular brand of theism, you know, is very deeply intertwined with murder for him. But before we ever meet Hannibal, we hear Will say to his students, everyone has thought about killing at some point, whether it's by your hand or the hand of God. I don't think that Will is necessarily in a place where he like views murder as like a spiritual experience at this point in the show. But I feel like he's definitely like in a place where he could be nudged in that direction. Yeah, like the act of kind of like linking like God to killing in general is not something most people do. Right. Whereas he's like, he seems to be very specifically stating that like, if you think about or fantasize about someone's death, then you are thinking about killing them and you are bringing God into it, which is like a very Hannibal-esque kind of thing to think. And we haven't even met Hannibal at that point in the show. Just like bringing the extended universe into it for a second. Like, it's interesting. Like, okay, so uh, there's a movie called The Necessary Death of Charlie Countryman. (laughs) Also um, not so good. Not great, but it you know features another character played by Mads Mikkelsen, uh, Nigel, who's like this drug dealing gangster, general scary dude. I think the review, <laughs> the review that I read, <laughs> described him as like Nigel, played by scary foreign person <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen, which is like very accurate. That is his role in this movie. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is because, like, I was reading a little bit about the making of the movie because the movie is kind of bizarre in a way that, like, made me want to know, like, how how did this happen? And apparently, like, the way Mads Mikkelsen got cast is that they presented Shia LaBeouf, like, the, you know, guy who plays the main character, a list of names and was like, which of these people do you find scary? And he's like, okay, this guy, this guy scares the shit out of me. And that's how Mads (laughs) Mikkelsen was cast. I love that. Which is just amazing. 
And I love that he's just like, okay with it. That That's just, you know, he's like, yes, I will be foreign scary person. But anyway, just like thinking about Nigel and like lately writing with Nigel and then kind of necessarily juxtaposing him against Hannibal and Will, because they're both, I mean, they're all three of them, you know, murderers. But it's interesting to kind of like, I think sometimes like it's easy to forget how strange Will and Hannibal are when you kind of buy into the premise that they're like this own their own world of two because you can kind of get drawn into it as well and yeah. start to accept things that are maybe <laughs> weird. And then you bring someone who's like also a murderer but considerably more normal and put them next to these two and it's like the very specific almost spiritual way they think about murder is very interesting. It's it's almost like not about the murder because Nigel does murder too. So clearly there's something else going on here. Right. It's like the the weird view of it. And and it I was just thinking about that because the fact that, you know, you were mentioning that Will brings up God before Hannibal even does. It's like, okay, they're both these very kind of strange people with some weird associations with killing. Oh, weird. so they go to the crime scene. Yes. And I thought it was interesting because like I like Jack more now but I really didn't like him much the first time I watched the show and I still think he's kind of awful towards Will in general like just generally pushing him and like using him as a tool despite what Will wants but I did think that the way he treats Will at the crime scene was like particularly cool of him he has like a I think a real respect for Will's methods which a lot of people don't like I you know you see Beverly show up and she's kind of like this guy's in my way he's doing something weird at the crime scene <laughs> which <laughs> i had completely forgotten this was the first time they met and she's like hella rude to him she, she's really rude like this does not go well for like will and beverly being the best friends that they apparently are in like all, all fan fiction <laughs> right i mean great for, great start are you unstable <laughs> <laughs> and like the way she says that it's like she like really wants him to be unstable she like you know she's gonna go home and she's gonna like call her friend and be like I met an unstable guy today but yeah I thought it was interesting that Jack was like telling Will like you know like take your time like if if you when you're ready to talk you talk if you don't feel like it you don't talk and it's like okay that's actually kind of a cool way to like here's this is your crime scene go do your thing and I'll stay out of your way but if Will had said if he had like finished that whole thing and then said, like, you said I didn't have to talk, so, like, I'm not talking, I'm going home. Would Jack really have taken that as an answer? You know what? <laughs> he totally wouldn't have. I feel like Will tries that multiple times. <laughs> it does not right. go well for him. I don't know. I, I feel like I bought into that the first time. And now that I've seen, like, the rest of Will, it reminds me a little bit of the scene where like he meets Miriam Lass mm-hmm. and the way that like, okay, I haven't really, I haven't read much of the books, but I have read like that scene that that's referring to where Jack takes on Clarice and in like both of those scenes, it very much felt like he, w- he's kind of using the fact that she's eager and she's flattered and she wants to be useful and wants to do something for him. And he's still just using her. And mm-hmm. I kind of this time around, that was kind of how I felt about Jack's being accommodating to Will, that it was maybe not entirely sincere. I mean, I think that's definitely, like, a big part of Jack's character in general. Just, I don't want to say that he doesn't care about people, because I think he probably does in, like, a very, very abstract way, in the sense that, oh, I, you know, you generally wish people well and don't want harm to come to them. But I don't think he actually cares enough to prevent harm. 
Yeah. I think he sees people as tools, predominantly. Which is almost in opposition to, like, Hannibal's point of view, in that he actually cares really deeply what happens to people. It might be death, but he cares. (laughs) Right. And, I mean, I'm sure we'll have, like, a ton to say about this later, but I think one of the most interesting facets of Hannibal's character to me is that is the way that he doesn't need to stop himself from having feelings for people in order to do horrible things to them. He can genuinely like someone and cut their lungs out or stab them. Which which is really... leaves him free to have a lot of feelings. Right, which is kind of, like, enviable in a way. Yeah, totally. I think it's also one of the things that makes him really terrifying, because in general you want to think that someone's, you know, good feelings towards you will keep them from harming you. (laughs) Right. So when you're presented with someone who just doesn't work that way, it's kind of like, oh, this is here actually terrifying. Then Will Graham gets a dog. Oh, my God. Okay, so I didn't realize how weird that scene was the first time I saw it. Like, Will just parks his car across both lanes of a two-lane highway in the middle of the night to go get this dog. And it made me want it like, I have no idea what the highway in between Quantico and Wolf Trap is like. But the show definitely made it seem like, A, that there's like no possibility of anyone else using this road. And also, like, apparently there are right. a lot of stray dogs on it. Also, I, I only was paying attention because I know a couple people like made a big deal about Will stealing Winston. Um, Winston totally had a leash on him. Did? It was like right. It's interesting to see, like, that being the most Will cares about something so far, being this dog. You know, like, he takes him home and washes him. He blow dries the dog's he fur. He blow dries <laughs> I'm looking at your note. <laughs> right. So the next thing that I wrote about this episode is, don't wash your face in the sinks of public bathrooms. You're going to get fucking pink eye. Which, stand by. I feel like we're also going to have to talk a lot about, like, the strategic removal of like any considerations of like pathogens from this show like there are just no germs in this universe you can eat anything you can put your face anywhere it's fine (laughs) but like who does that like I I understand like feeling overwhelmed and like needing to go collect yourself in the bathroom and maybe splashing water on your face but who fills up the sink and then just shows their face in it how do you even like what did he plug the sink with I'm imagining him just like getting a paper, like a wad of paper towels and wetting it and jamming it in the bottom of the sink. Oh, also Jack just screaming at some random person to use the ladies' room. And then <laughs> it the- was so good. But the scene in the bathroom, I think the first time I watched it, I was confused at like how angry they suddenly were at each other. I was like, I don't. Why right. are they so mad? And I feel like now thinking about Will. Like, Will seems to be basically getting defensive, right? Like, yeah. he is in the mindset of the Minnesota Shrike or whatever. Anything that, like, isn't true or right that Jack is saying about him, he doesn't like it. Right. It's like he's saying it about Will. You know, it's yeah. like someone totally just misinterpreting you to your face in, like, very unflattering ways. It hurts. Yeah. I mean, that was interesting because, yeah, like, Will gets really worked up about it you know when he's saying like no he like he loves them yeah like well we didn't find any semen on them or saliva and will gets really upset he's He's like like, that's not how he loves them because it's like someone's accusing you of like raping all these people yeah he's like no i didn't rape them i just killed them right exactly like no i love them (laughs) how dare you 
other FBI thing, I still don't know which one is Zeller and which is Price. I can't, I can't keep it straight. I have to, like, actually, like, remind myself and, like, match the mental picture with the name every single time. But Zeller is the tall one with the beard. Like, the younger one? Yeah. Okay. It's just, like, they're, they're such, like, kind of generic names. And they're yeah. kind of, like, they're always there together. <laughs> right. I mean, there's not really much to differentiate them. They're both just kind of yeah. lab tech one and two, you know? They do have, don't they have different, do they have different jobs? I don't even know. I'm not actually sure like, what any of them do. I read far enough in Red Dragon to get the impression that they do have different jobs. Like, okay. I think one is, like, just the fingerprint expert, and I don't remember what the other one is. Maybe they're both, fingerprint. I, I don't know. I feel like there's, I know there's, like, a reference in the show, like, super briefly about Price being, like, an alcoholic. Yeah. Oh. Which is yeah, okay. distinguishing characteristics, <laughs> I guess. Feature, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, more on the subject of Jack being rude, he just his entire first interaction with Hannibal was incredibly rude. Just the fact that he like, first of all, barges into his office and then starts touching things on his desk because he starts looking through his drawings and he's complimenting yeah. them. But I can't imagine ever walking into someone's office and being like, I should go look at your personal papers and touch them. To me, I feel like his especially in this first episode like I feel like Jack's whole like interaction with everybody is basically just him kind of asserting dominance over people yeah like the way he treats them just kind of seems like oh I mean obviously I'm in charge I can touch your things or your face or you know it just it seems (laughs) like setting this particular tone definitely an intentionally rude interaction with Hannibal and like coming in from the wrong entrance yeah but that's not actually the first time that we see Hannibal in the episode. First, we get to see him eating dinner for like 30 seconds. Right. <laughs> um, which I like. I like I think the first time I watched it, I was just like really happy at like the complete lack of like coyness about like what's happening here. And then we get the scene with Franklin. Yes. I, I love the scenes of Hannibal with Franklin because I think it's like the only chance we get in the show to see him actually functioning as what's theoretically a normal therapist. Yeah. You know, because Franklin isn't one of his murder interns. He's not fucking with him. It's literally just a client. Yeah. Which I guess it's like kind of our one opportunity to like have this debate of like, is Hannibal a good therapist? Oh, and we got into, like, a pretty good debate about that on Twitter once. Like, not with each other, but I feel like yeah. I was arguing with some people about this. So just based on his interactions with Franklin, just, right. like, this one little bit of a session that we see, what do we think of, like, Hannibal's therapeutic advice? I think he's an awful therapist based on this one interaction. Honestly, because that was incredibly weird advice to give to someone who seems to have an anxiety disorder like as someone who has like a pretty significant anxiety disorder like none of what he said would have been helpful at all that's like because he goes off on this weird thing about like when the like you have to convince yourself there's not the lion in the room great I'd love to (laughs) have you tried not worrying like oh thank you I I didn't think of this before (laughs) um But also, I mean, the irony of that is pretty great, you know, because Hannibal says, like, when the lion is in the room, I assure you, you will know. 
But clearly Frank won't know. (laughs) He's sitting across from a goddamn lion. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing that I found really interesting about that scene is that the first thing we hear Franklin say is, I hate being this neurotic. Mm. And then Hannibal says, well, if you weren't neurotic, you would be something much worse. Which there's there are like so many interesting things to me about that. I actually think I think that the way that Hannibal like phrases his advice is like intentionally obscure and terrible. I actually don't think yeah. that it's like terrible advice. I think that like when you're having a panic attack, uh-huh. what happens is that you like convince yourself that you're dying, right? Like anxiety feeds right. into itself. And part of what makes it so difficult is that you start to become anxious about the anxiety itself. So I right. think that this actually is like a valid method of like kind of stopping that feedback loop of thinking like, yes, I'm feeling anxious, but that's okay. I can get through it. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, I'm on board with that. But the yeah. use of the word neurotic, actually, I found really interesting because I feel like that's a word that is used a lot like colloquially to describe someone who's like anxious in a way that is like maybe irritating to other people but it sounded weird to me to hear this word used in like a therapeutic context so I like looked it up and sure enough neurotic Mm -hmm. has not been like a diagnosis that you could give someone since 1980 so like why does Franklin use this word it clear I mean I would say like clearly this word comes from Hannibal it's Franklin is describing himself that way. Why does Hannibal kind of like cling to this specific word slash diagnosis as being somehow useful to him or useful to Franklin? So I was like looking up like what does neurotic mean? And it's basically just like kind of the ensemble of like depression and anxiety and OCD and like all sorts of non-psychotic problems that involve Mm -hmm. like not a lack of contact with reality but something is going wrong here and so I was looking up young is that how you pronounce that is it Jung or young Carl Young I think it's a yeah yeah Yeah, basically like his his like theory of neurosis and I think that's like basically where the most like popular concept of it came from is that neurosis is when there is a disconnect between the ego. So like the part of you that's kind of like keeping things under control and like holding yourself together and rational and the unconscious. Right. When your unconscious wants something that is out of line with what the rest of you wants or is doing. And so like reading that description, I was like, oh, (laughs) that actually makes perfect sense. Like why Hannibal is invested in this term having meaning. When it technically no longer does in his profession, because that seems to be basically how he approaches his patients, Mm -hmm. is like finding what's in your unconscious and trying to make you do that consciously, whether or not it's a great idea. Right. And it's interesting because I think like the entire show is based on him trying to draw that out of Will, you know, trying to kind of erode like the parts of Will that keep everything else about him in check. You know, the parts that say, no, murder is bad and I don't want to do it. But it's interesting because, like, thinking about that and, like, the actual definition of neurosis that she found in context with what he says to Franklin, where he tells Franklin, if you weren't neurotic, you would be something much worse. So is he suggesting that it's actually better if there's that discord in Franklin? Like, 
does he see, I don't know, like what you would call Franklin's like innate nature as something undesirable? I don't know. I mean, the other thing that I was reading about like Young's approach to neurosis is that he viewed it as not necessarily a bad thing. He viewed it as an opportunity, like oh, particularly if you have kind of like, you know, an, an acute period of neurosis where suddenly you're worse than you were before, that uh-huh. that is kind of your mind saying like something isn't right. We need to like bring these two parts of yourself into line with each other. So I guess that also kind of fits with like, if you were like much more of a Hannibal Lecter apologist than I maybe want to be, you could Uh even make the argument that like his refusal to treat Will's encephalitis could be like him kind of buying into this idea that like, we're going to like, break down all the barriers between you know the ego and the unconscious and this disease is helping him do that therefore this is like of therapeutic value <laughs> not that you should not that you should contract fatal brain diseases cure <laughs> 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 your anxiety <laughs> i mean I, I i feel like we'll definitely talk about this more later but it's interesting like thinking through what hannibal was doing with will at that point like with with like the encephalitis and at this point, I don't think, I mean, well, definitely in this episode, he doesn't, he hasn't even met Will yet. But I feel like the whole encephalitis thing was mostly like someone he's not particularly invested in. And he's just kind of watching what happens. Because I think it's interesting to him. It was you know, interesting. Like, here's this, it was interesting yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> yeah, just like thinking about Franklin. I, I don't know if I would call him a good thing therapist I I think I agree with what we decided at a different point which is that he's a very good therapist for a very specific set of people yeah like if you want to follow your murder dreams and go kill people he's your guy right like well I think like the one the one concrete example of like someone who clearly benefited was Margot right like yeah at the at the end of the show like she's alive Mason is dead. She doesn't seem to feel like it seems like at the beginning when we first meet her, she feels like somewhat conflicted about killing Mason. And I think by the end, she no longer feels that, which is probably good because Mason. Right. So I would say like she is a Hannibal Lecter success story. (laughs) I think it's and it's funny to say that because I feel like there's like a high like I mean, I'm sure Hannibal's a very expensive therapist, but I feel like there's also just like a high personal cost involved with having him as your therapist, because I think ultimately she does end up in a really good place. You know, she's she's married to Alana. They have a baby They're you know, have access to the verge of fortune and Mason is dead. But also she had a forced hysterectomy and, you know, lost her first baby, mostly due to Hannibal's direct influence. Yeah. I mean, the baby was Hannibal's idea. And then also he then fucked with it to. And and I don't actually read that as him being jealous of Will, which I've seen floated. I think that was just kind of him wanting to see what would happen. Um, Hannibal, still undecided. Right. I mean, and he also gets Franklin killed. Well, no, he kills Franklin. So there's that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say. Though, like. He tries real hard to make Franklin go away before he dies. Yeah, I actually <laughs> think that he cared about Franklin, not in like a very personally involved way, but yeah. in a very, you know, 
kind of abstract way because yeah he he does try to tell him to leave and yeah. franklin's like no i'm gonna go reason with my serial killer bff yes and like even franklin like we're using franklin as like an example of a normal person who's having normal therapy with him <laughs> but like that's not that's not even really the case right. franklin is there for reasons of his own as well and Franklin has some serious boundary issues. I mean, he was basically stalking Hannibal for a while there. He, he references that he'd been referred from several therapists in the past. So I think that's like an ongoing trend with him. Like possibly even the ther- like in terms of like who Franklin is, it almost seems like if he, based on his behavior with Hannibal and the fact that he's been referred several times, that he refuses to be referred on from Hannibal, it seems like maybe even like the therapy is part of the problem with him. Like he really wants, he wants a therapist to kind of like attach himself to. And maybe he's not actually there because he wants to be less neurotic. It doesn't like, because I think the, the, you know, entire point of therapy is you have to be willing to like put in the work and actually work on yourself and not use it as a source of like, you know, personal validation from like this particular relationship um which is interesting actually because the relationship that franklin wants with hannibal is basically what will has and doesn't want (laughs) like because (laughs) hannibal is like deeply personally invested in will and will's at that point kind of just like leave me alone (laughs) i don't yeah want this (laughs) and hannibal's like i'm your friend we're friends will we're friends So speaking of like Will, Will and Hannibal finally meeting. Yes. Um, I thought it was interesting that you noted that like Hannibal seems to know him really well by this point, or at least like have a really specific opinion on him, even when they meet in Jack's office. That's one of those things I think I didn't catch the first time walking through because we've kind of been introduced to Will as like we know sort of what's going on with him that he has this ability to kind of put himself in other people's minds or shoes. So it didn't strike me as weird that Hannibal, you know, uh, says to Jack, like, oh, what he has is pure empathy. And then, you know, goes into his whole thing about mirror neurons. But he's only really talked to Will for about two minutes at this point. And Will was not particularly forthcoming. Like, Will basically just told him to fuck off. Yeah. So I kind of think, like, it makes sense to assume that Hannibal knows of Will because it seems like Will is actually pretty well known. Like, you know, when Beverly meets him, you know, of him through his research paper in yeah. like the field of forensics. Um, and Alana knows enough about him to feel like she has to keep a distance from him. And she even says like, I'm sorry about this wind, by the way. <laughs> but she, she even says that like any uh, research paper pu- published on Will would have to be published posthumously. And then later in the show, we have Chilton, who is really interested in studying will so like you have all these members of the psychiatric community really interested in him as a person and like in the way his brain works so i think it stands to reason that hannibal probably has heard of him at least and maybe that's even why he decides to consult for jack you know because well besides the idea of like ingratiating yourself to the head of the behavioral analysis unit probably being a good idea if you're like this serial killer but anyway i i didn't catch that the first time around and it's probably mostly headcanon, but I kind of think that Hannibal like had a certain kind of professional curiosity and will before meeting him. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, just 
the fact that Hannibal talks about the bone arena of Will's skull in <laughs> conversation. He can just get away with so much. Although I guess to a certain extent, like Will is the person. Like I think when he says that kind of stuff to Jack, Jack is kind of like, "Whoa!" And Will is the one yeah. who's like, "What the fuck? What's happening?" Which I mean, I but Will's kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, I think Will's kind of weird in the shit he says, too. Like, sometimes it's harder to notice because I think Hannibal is so much more blatant with it. But, like, Will says some really creepy, poetic stuff constantly. Right. I guess he does. Yeah. And he kind of also does it, like, when he's narrating his crime scenes. I think you definitely notice a couple of times, at least, there's, like, where you see, like, Beverly and the other lab techs kind of looking at him, like, whoa, like, what's... When he says certain things... Because, you know, I think we buy into, oh, he's just doing this thing. and But to them, he's just this guy who's standing there saying some really creepy shit in the middle of a crime scene. It seems like they're not totally on board with, like, even believing that Will can do this thing. Like, when Jack, right. when Jack says, like, you make leaps that can't be explained or something, and, and Will says, no, they're explained by the evidence. Like, he gets really upset at the implication that, like, he's a mind reader. <laughs> and they seem to not be totally on board with the whole concept of, like, Will being special and that he might know something that they don't based on the same evidence. Oh, well, then there's that whole scene with Cassie Boyle and Hannibal killing her and leaving her for Will in a field. Which I also totally didn't... I I did not understand what was happening the first time around. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. Well, because I think the time you watch it, it's kind of hard to untangle, like, who's killed who. Right, especially when you come up, come in with the ex- expectation of, like, oh, here we have Hannibal Lecter eating some dinner and, like, right. kind of just making make it like, okay, he's probably killed these people. <laughs> Unless you had read the book, in which case you know what's going on, which is probably, like, a lot of the people who, like, gave the show a shot at the beginning had read yeah. the books, I would assume. Also, just, like, I, I know I, like, I made a note. It's not actually, like, a substantial note, but just Hannibal looks so smug when he's eating... He's, like, sitting down to dinner by himself in his house in a three-piece suit, eating Cassie Boyle's lungs, (laughs) looking so pleased with himself. Which is, like, another thing that's, that's, like, kind of inspiring. Because, like, we think of him, you know, like, yes, he holds these dinner parties and he's, like, kind of a society person and, like, clearly enjoys that aspect of it. But, like, also a lot of what he does is, like, literally just for himself. And so I've actually, like, had the thought before of, like, Oh, you know, like, the reason that I don't cook is because, like, I don't have anyone to cook for. Like, why would I put effort into just feeding myself? And I'm like, well, like, <laughs> Hannibal does. Right. <laughs> and it's and it's not even just, like, cooking for himself. It's, like, setting the table and, yeah. like, just making it this event just for himself, which is, yeah, I think actually really inspiring. You should value yourself enough. Right. To, 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 to value yourself. Value yourself as much as a serial killing cannibal values himself. I mean, that reminds me of, like, something Mads Mikkelsen said in an interview that Hannibal is, like, the happiest character he's ever played. He really is. But I I think that's, like, what draws you to Hannibal in a lot of ways is that he's kind of just so joyful and happy all the time. Absolutely. Like, he's pleased with himself he like does what he wants and even when he's doing terrible things that you know we can acknowledge are terrible there's this certain weird satisfaction in seeing this character just delight in everything around him 
Yeah. And it is it kind of functions as like an endorsement of this thing that he's encouraging other people to do, right? Where, you know, like yeah. break, break down the barrier between the ego and unconscious. Like, okay, well, like he's done that. He lives that way and he's really happy. So like maybe it's a good idea. Right. Especially when, you know, his kind of foil at this in the show in general is Will, who has these deliberate barriers. Like Will even says that the first episode, you know, he builds forts. Like he yeah. deliberately constructs barriers between him and the parts of himself that want to do these things that Hannibal does. And he's miserable. Like right. throughout the end. I mean, okay, to be fair, part of it is that Hannibal is making him miserable. But I think he doesn't strike me as a particularly happy or even content person even before he meets Hannibal. He yeah. seems nervous and like he keeps to himself and like he's not a particularly happy person. Be like Hannibal. There's that scene where Will and Hannibal, Hannibal brings Will breakfast. Yes! And that it's whole so scene is so interesting to me. First of all, that Will lets him in at all was kind of interesting to me. When Will's kind of made it a point to be like, I don't want to get to know you. I don't want to talk to you. I but, mean, it seems like he was expecting Jack, maybe? Yeah, It's a little I bit like so. unclear what point in his morning this is at. <laughs> like, if he's like just rolled out of bed, or if he was expecting someone and it just wasn't Hannibal. I'm not really sure. It kind of seems like he maybe just rolled out of bed because he's still in his boxers and shirt and he kind of looks like he's confused with like the sunlight. But any, like something that I thought was really interesting was that, you know, Hannibal is talking to him like kind of trying to get to know him at this point. And he says, um, you and I are just alike, problem free. Nothing about us to feel horrible about. So good. And the camera is like lingering lovingly on the sausage. <laughs> He means it, too. That's, like, the thing that gets me, is that Hannibal legitimately believes that there's nothing about them to feel horrible about. Yeah, I think he does. Like, does he accept the premise that, like, there is such a thing as something about yourself that you should feel horrible about? Like, are there other people who have things to feel horrible about and he's just not one of them? That's actually a good question. Well, I wonder... I mean, there's that whole thing about, you know, rudeness being unspeakably ugly to him. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I mean, I feel like he does have a moral compass. I feel like it's just really outside the bounds of, like, normal human morality. <laughs> I think maybe Bedelia's right, like, way later when she says that he's replaced ethical concerns with aesthetic concerns. Right. People who don't fit with his sense of aesthetics right. have to feel horrible about. But he fixes it, you know. Okay, so so what do you think about that that bit about the mongoose? Because I think that's like an often quoted. It is, and I had to look up what a mongoose was. Kind of cute. Oh, that's interesting to me because they're <laughs> everywhere here. Oh, really? They're like actually they're actually pretty scary. Like they'll fuck you up, and they eat snakes. Okay. Yeah. So then I guess like so like who's the snake? What snake is Hannibal trying to catch? I kind of saw the snakes as maybe, like, what he sees as, like, lesser killers. Yeah. Because he does spend an awful lot of time kind of helping Will catch other killers or giving them to Will to kill. I guess he's also kind of speaking from, like, Jack's perspective, which I guess he's kind of acknowledging, pointing out that, like, if he thinks that Jack maybe secretly sees him this way, that you know, the, the mongoose under the house or whatever, like that's a tool that it's kind of acknowledging that Jack is using him. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think this is definitely part of like, because I think especially in the first season, there's like a real theme of Hannibal, like kind of, you know, trying to position himself as someone who's on Will's side in comparison with Jack, who's not. And it's manipulation. But I mean, it's also totally true. Like, I think Hannibal at every point is a lot more invested in Will and as a person than Jack is, even if Hannibal's idea of like what's good for Will is not in line with what Will thinks is good for him. I think Jack just really wants, he wants other people to put themselves into situations where Jack doesn't have to be responsible for their well-being anymore. Right. I'll definitely come back to that when we talk about like Miriam and Beverly. But I think Will is kind of the first person that like, he doesn't necessarily want to be responsible for Will. And even when Alana Alana asks like, can you cover him? He says, well, I can cover him 80%. Like, okay. (laughs) Garrett Jacob Hobbs. Garrett Jacob Hobbs. The scene, so, like, the scene of, you know, like, they're going through the files, right, and then they're loading the files into the car, and Hannibal spills the files, so he has a reason to go into the house to use the phone. Watching that again, like, the scene of him spilling the files was actually pretty funny. It was very obvious. On that secretary's head. (laughs) Also, she's hilarious. I loved her. Yeah. she's like it's like i don't know who she's talking to on the phone she's like yeah. very unhappy she's not having it right like there are these fucking weirdos in my <laughs> office and i want them to go but and then this is like when he calls Hobbs, i'm like that phone call took a long time like yeah. he didn't seem worried at all like someone was gonna come in to take another box it's like are you listening listen very carefully get that long dramatic pause He's so unhurried. He is. And it's interesting because he, I don't know if I want to call it reckless, but he kind of is. Like, he doesn't seem particularly worried about self-preservation. Like, I think he's more concerned with doing things to amuse himself than being particularly safe. It's almost like he just has a complete lack of anxiety. So it's like he yeah. makes decisions based on the risk that they entail. But if he's decided that something is worth the risk, then any worry he might previously have had about that action just evaporates. Right. Like he doesn't seem like someone who second guesses himself at all. I mean, committing yourself to your course of action once you've chosen it is a strong predictor of success. You know, right. exactly. Yeah, everyone be everyone be like Hannibal. And I mean, that reminds me of like a conversation he has with Will, like much later in the second season where Will asks him if he ever regrets anything. And it's interesting because I feel like you kind of expect Hannibal to say no, but I think he says like sometimes, but if he chooses to do something, there's usually a good reason for it. Yeah. And I feel like that's a very realistic thing to say that also kind of functions as really excellent life advice. Yeah, there's almost kind of two different definitions of regret right like there's regret as in like oh man I wish I could go back and make a different choice or regret as in like if I made that choice again today I would make a different one however like I acknowledge that I was a different person in the past and I respect that person and I respect that person's choices because they made me who I am today Mm -hmm. I feel like that's more the kind of regret that he had Right. Like, I like to think that probably, like, Hannibal at the very end of the season would have 
made some choices differently, like had he known how everything would play out. But I mean, you know, that's like kind of the point of life, right? You don't have that foreknowledge and you do the best that you can. And then we finally get to see Will shooting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like Hannibal's like stillness and the <clears throat> amount of time that he just takes to like think about things through this entire scene is like so nice. <laughs> you know, he kind of just like looks at like the dead lady and he's like, not that one. He's like, oh, wow. Will, Will is trying to save this girl bleeding out on the floor. Will I help? He takes like a good long time <laughs> to think about that choice. Right. It's like he's kind of just taking everything in. He really reminded me of like some kind of reptile in that that particular scene. Just like the yeah. way he's looking at everything like it. I don't want to say it wasn't like human, but it was kind of devoid of like the normal human reactions you would expect to seeing, yeah. you know, a shit ton of people bleeding out in front of you. He's kind of just like, oh, interesting. Which, to be fair, is a normal sight for him. <laughs> right, of course. So I would and think a I lot wa- of the interest is just like the way that it's it's almost like he's being more analytical because he can like compare this this bloody scene to so many others. Maybe if I hadn't been so preoccupied with like all the horrible things that were happening and trying to keep Abigail from dying, I actually wonder if that would have like set off more alarm bells for him. Like, oh, here's this guy who's supposedly a therapist who's totally comfortable with all this shit. Yeah. I think he's probably just kind of glad about it. Because like yeah. you know, like we've discussed before, like people being upset around Will is like upsetting to him. Right. So the fact that Hannibal isn't upset is just like, oh, like, you know, one fewer thing to deal with. Right. So it's interesting. Like, I feel like I w- was watching this episode and, and it might not even be in this episode, but like, I feel like I'm kind of trying to pinpoint like the moment at which they both become interesting to each other. Yeah. Do you think this happens? Like, in, I don't think it's necessarily in this episode for Will. I feel like the thing... Hannibal says about the mongooses maybe started to get Will a little bit interested in him. Just the fact that Hannibal, because, you know, Hannibal says, like, oh, Jack, you as a fragile teacup. Will's yeah. like, okay, how do you see? And I think Hannibal's answer was probably kind of unexpected. You're the mongoose I want under the house when the snakes slither by. And I think it's like kind of acknowledging that Will is, you know, not fragile and is dangerous in a sense and I feel like maybe that caught Will's interest a little I think it's probably like just develops over time for Will but I do wonder like at what point Hannibal decides that this person is like worth taking an interest in or messing with I feel like it was like right away because he Mm -hmm. starts messing with him right away and he doesn't (laughs) like we don't see him like mess with Jack like that really I think he finds a lot of people interesting, actually, in different yeah. ways. Right. Because we learn later he has this whole history of, like, you know, a lot of his patients kill people. Yeah. Like, you know, he kind of takes on these murder interns. So he's like a murder talent scout. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I think maybe, like, he is interested in Will straight away, but he's maybe, like, placing him in a category with other people, whereas Will later right. kind of grows out of that into a category of his own. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so one more thing. I read in an interview that originally this episode was going to have a pop song outro. 
Oh my god, I want to know what pops up. I mean, to be fair, the last episode did. Yeah, actually, <laughs> oh here, you know what, I have a, maybe this is like weird that I'm talking about the last episode, but I actually thought like that the reasoning for like why they did a pop song outro for that specific episode was like really amazing. Wasn't it like someone specifically like wanted to write that song for the show? It was like they got like a retired singer, uh, Susie Sue, to like do the outro. And I guess she was interested enough in the show to come out of retirement to record it. That's so cool. Yeah, which is like kind of awesome. Yeah. But apparently like they, they did a pop song outro for like the final show because like he wanted to give the fans something like to take with them. Oh, yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, here, I found the quote. He said, um, I wanted them to have a souvenir. I wanted them to have a song. I wanted them to have a melody because I've not really been able to do that with this show. But since we're leaving or at least taking some time away from the show, whatever the future is, I felt like I needed to give them something and it felt right. And I was just like, oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. But yes, I think the music choice at the end of this worked really well. Right. And I think they said that they decided against a pop outro because they wanted to set it apart from other, you know, police procedural crime drama shows. Yes. And I think that is very common. So I'm glad they did it. Yeah. So should we talk about what we've been reading? We totally should bring up my archive of our own history (laughs) well so we both both read that one fic I feel like I need to like look it up to see like who actually wrote it but that that fic about all the titles are really long right and like I know I will never be able to okay here we go it was by Cashtastrophe called down on my knees but not to pray hit so hard across the skull it buckled my legs (laughs) that that is the whole title which is amazing as a title but I I will never remember that (laughs) I think this was a wreck from ne- Nephila. Is that? No, I don't think that's how you pronounce her name. I don't know how to say her, her name. name. I know people call her Nephi. Okay, great. Yes, that was her wreck on Twitter. Yes, um, it was like on... a thread of like dark fix. Yes, Armored yes. Super Heavy had like looking for like dark fic and she posted it. And I'm so glad I read it. Like I usually don't read unfinished fix. I felt like this was like, it didn't yeah. leave me like feeling upset that I wasn't going to know what happened next yeah I feel like like it ended at a place where it kind of felt like it was gearing up to do a different plot arc or like kind of a whole nother story and I was okay with not knowing yeah it it felt satisfying to me yeah the fic like I found this fic really propulsive people are wondering what this fic is oh yeah Uh, the premise of this fic is that Will was sexually abused by his father and I mean, basically, like at the the very beginning of the the fic is like him realizing what Hannibal is, and the, right. their entire relationship is based on a this mutual knowledge of what Hannibal is, but then also Will's sexual trauma being really intimately involved in their relationship, mm-hmm. which Hannibal is like really kind of sweetly not okay with. Yeah, and that really surprised me, actually, because the first couple of chapters are from Will's point of view, I think. And I feel like Will's interpretation of what's happening, at least in the beginning, is very different from Hannibal's. Yeah. In the sense that, like, he kind of thinks that Hannibal is, you know, as into it as he is and is getting the same thing out of it. 
Whereas I think for Hannibal, it's more like, well, this is what this person wants. So, okay. Yeah. And it's a really interesting interpretation of like Hannibal discovering something new, like a new piece of darkness that lives within Will or whatever. Because I think we get so often fixed where like, you know, Will is fucked up in some specific way and Hannibal just 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 loves it like it doesn't matter what it is he's into it (laughs) and so it's kind of interesting to have a a story where he you know he's not like necessarily upset about it but this wasn't what he wanted so i i don't always read the tags super carefully but i usually at least scan them and this fic was tagged um extremely dubious consent and you know you read the first chapter and you kind of assume it's going to be extremely dubious consent on will's part because of the way it's set up that he's kind of like playing out his sexual trauma with his dad with Hannibal and like egging Hannibal on to be really like rough and violent with with him in a way that is kind of like I think cathartic but upsetting to Will because he's you know crying and kind of reliving a lot of things that happened to him and in the beginning at least I feel like Will really emphasizes like Hannibal's like violence and brutality and it feels like Hannibal is maybe going to be pushing him into this like to lean into this and explore it but it's actually kind of just Will saying, like, well, I could turn you in. In the beginning, at least, it, it kind of seems like it's Will sort of blackmailing Hannibal. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Hannibal's into it, so it's kind of okay. But but there's also this kind of undercurrent of, like, I could ruin you. But I mean, also Hannibal could kill him. But I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that it was not what I was expecting when I went yeah. into the fic. It was really good. I also just finished A Great and Gruesome Height last night, which was awesome. Oh, I haven't <laughs> read that in ages. That was so I know. good. Was, I'm like, I'm, when I first got into Sherlock Phantom, I just took like months and like read everything I could get my hands on. And I'm still like going through the classics in Animal <laughs> Phantom. But I loved like particularly like the crime scenes in that fic were like so excellent. Each piece of like them finding themselves in their murder husbandry was just like perfectly tuned to like where they were in their relationship. Was that the one by Moki Yobi? I think. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So was that the one where like at the very end they like kind of they like have this dinner party and they end up like tying up this one person? I feel like yeah. they had sex in front of a victim. Okay. Yes, I, I know that is, that is what, and they about. like leave it for Jack. So like the end of the fic, yes. like Jack finding this crime scene, which like he can tell exactly like what it's like. He can see Will in this crime scene because it's like so different from what Hannibal would have previously left, and it's like, yes. and they also like send a, it's that the guy they kill was like communicating with Freddie, but like sends a picture of them to Freddie. It's so good. That's amazing. That's like the kind of petty shit that I love. <laughs> it's so petty. I, I see. I love like fix with like w- like people from Will's life before like finding out about him and Hannibal for some reason. Yeah. Like, I just I'm always like so hungry to see people's reactions. Yeah. To like you know what becomes of him. I guess it like at least in the fix I've read, it's usually because I think there's like this, which I think would probably be true in real life. You know, like this. There's, like, this tendency, I think, that people have of, like, wanting to paint him as, like, a victim. Mm-hmm. Or at least people that he used to work with. You know, like, oh, like, poor thing, there's this terrible serial you know? Yeah. And I think it's often, like, Will being like, no, I have agency in this. This is actually a thing that I picked. So, like, showing how terrible he is is, like, fun for him because he's, like, 
asserting yeah. himself as a full human. Oh, shoot. Also, kind of looping back around to the episode we watched for a second, the pilot episode. So, like, the scene where, like, Will is uh, reconstructing the crime scene at the beginning where he says, like, oh, she tapped, uh, the, the killer tapped her phone. Yeah. Know, he recorded the security call. I was just thinking, like, if we, like, think through, like, the, the fact that, like, Will has kind of internalized all these killers, I feel like he would know how to do some really terrifying stuff. Oh, totally. And I feel like that's so useful in fic where, like, yes. they, need, they need to, like, get away with some crime and, like you're, like, stretching the bounds of, like, what's believable by, like, having Hannibal be able to just, like, randomly do everything. But, like, Will kind of can. He has, like, a lot of breadth right. in terms of his exactly. criminal instincts. I'm looking at, like, other things I've read. Because, like, I haven't really been reading a whole lot lately. I think I've well, been, like... Well, you've been, you've been writing. I think you should tell the people about what you're writing. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> we've, both, we've, we've both been writing at him. It's, like, complete opposites. I've been writing, like, this bonkers shit that, like, I'm frankly surprised that anyone is reading. <laughs> but I'm writing, like, I don't even know what to call it, like, disaster versed Darkest Timeline, Will and Hannibal and Adam and Nigel. So, like, at this point, basically, the premise is that, you know, Will has kind of lost his mind post-series and Hannibal has sort of been picking up the pieces and... One of the ways Will's decided to act out his trauma is by um, sexually assaulting Adam. And so the fic I'm reading now is like, uh, reading, writing now is like basically Adam kind of working through that trauma uh, while sort of trying to develop a relationship with Nigel. While Hannibal and Will are like, let's have a family again and let's make Adam our child. Which like makes so much sense sense actually in that like particular fucked up universe because it's like will fucked up adam in the same way like not by the same method but in the same way that hannibal fucked him up and that's that's what makes a family that's how family is done right right and i'm having so much fun just kind of like playing with the idea that like hannibal and will's concept of love is really fucked yeah but yeah I've, i've been having a really great time and also actually realizing like the the similarities between Adam and Abigail has been really interesting that they Hmm. both, I mean, obviously they don't look that similar, but they kind of do. Like they're both very pretty blue eyes, dark hair, kind of delicate features. Yeah. And they're both kind of alone in the world. You know, they're both orphans that Hannibal and Will kind of bonded to them by royally fucking their lives up. Yeah. So I've been having like a good time playing with that. So you should talk about what you're writing, too. Oh, well, I'm just writing the complete opposite of that, in which, I mean, kind of the way we were talking about, like, Adam versus Will's opposing ways of maybe being autistic. You know, if we accept the premise that, like, Will can, like, be in someone's presence and kind of, like, blur the boundaries of him and another person and take on their viewpoint and essentially become them in some psychological way. And I was like, well, actually, like, if Adam is someone who like doesn't know what other people are thinking, then like mm-hmm. Will hanging out with Adam would be like the most relaxing thing in the world for Will. Like he could turn off this like horrible empathy thing that's ruined his life and he can just like not know what other people are thinking for a while, which is kind of a ridiculous premise that like veers a little bit into like mind reading. But I kind of like the idea of Will having 
like an emotional support Adam. I love that. I like. I, I love that. First of all, I love that there's like a universe where all these people are just happy and like reasonably good to each other because I need that. <laughs> but also, I don't know. I just really love your premise. I think I I saw you named it like planetarium vibrator thing. Oh God. And I that love was that. Like the beginning of the fic. That was like okay, my working title. I always name when I like open the Google Doc. Somehow I've just fallen into the habit of like defining feature thing is like my working title so I wouldn't say the vibrator is actually like a huge part of the plot that's I'm what it started so it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny because like it's funny that you mentioned um you know like kind of like veering into mind reader territory because I feel like I do that with Will a lot too not necessarily like mind reader territory but definitely veering into some kind of weird metaphysical superpower ish thing with his empathy which the Which, show definitely does. I mean, even in, like, the fic I'm writing now, like, there's kind of some, like, magical realism elements with, like, the idea of Adam and Will and Hannibal sort of all beginning to share a mind palace. But I think that's totally, like, oh, like, the show really fucks around with reality a lot, especially in the third season. Yeah. And, like, magical realism, so. If Will can, like, build a giant firefly man inside of Hannibal's brain then it's all fine. <laughs> well, should we wrap this up for the week? Yeah, that sounds good. We did a podcast. We did a podcast. I don't know. People like say stuff, you know, they have like a sign off, like tagline podcast thing. Oh, do they? We <laughs> <laughs> might have to make one up later. I wonder if anyone's yeah. actually, this is, this was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we could have like, talk to each other without having the excuse of like trying to make other people listen to it but but it's fun <laughs> to try to make people listen to yeah. <laughs> I mean it's kind of it's it's exactly like writing fan fiction you just like do the thing that you want and then you put it on the internet and see if someone else wants it to right exactly all right Yay. I'll see you next week all right bye some excellent therapy and more crimes having to do with mushrooms I think yeah that sounds awesome. <laughs> Bye. Bye.